welcome back to the podcast. I hope you're all doing well and are enjoying the second series so far. I'm really enjoying creating it and it's been really nice. So today in the podcast, I want to talk about traits of autism that went unnoticed during early childhood. Well, early late childhood and early adulthood that went unnoticed that looking in the grand scheme of things it shouldn't have gone unnoticed and it should have been pretty obvious that I had autism but for one reason or another it just didn't get picked up. So I've made a list of 10 characteristics which I thought were pretty obvious that got missed. So the first one that I've written down is I didn't give any eye contact when I was younger. So from the ages of one or two-ish when I was maybe aware of everything going on around me to about maybe 13. I'd say from then to 13, I really struggled giving eye contact. I remember my parents saying to me, Athena, don't look down. People are looking at you. I'd be get really comfortable with someone, get into a rhythm and then a couple of weeks later I'd see them again and my brain would just really struggle to give eye contact and from a person with autism I really don't know why it was like that. It was sort of an involuntary decision my brain made where it just decided I don't really want to give eye contact. I'm sure the science behind it but that should have been one of the telltale signs everyone just thought it was me being shy not wanting to give eye contact and I can understand why in a way because I was very introverted and very shy when I was younger I've only just started to get out of this at the age of 24 so the second thing on my list which is an indication of autism well especially for me is getting very upset it's getting very upset or being very resistant when someone asks me to do a task. Now this is called demand avoidance and demand avoidance doesn't mean that you're being rude or you don't want to do the task. I mean you do want to do the task, do the task but something inside of you is feels like it's just stopping you and you don't know why. It's almost like an impulse inside of you telling you don't do the task you're not going to get any benefit out of the task it more feels like a task like someone's telling you to do something rather than making the decision up on your own and I'm not sure why it happens it might be a chemical imbalance in the brain similar to autism a common demand avoidance for me which happens almost every single day is doing the dishwasher now I don't mind doing the dishwasher But when my family are telling me every single day, do the dishwasher, do the dishwasher, you know, it's your tasks, do the dishwasher. And I tell them maybe like in an hour or later on and they go, oh, do it now. It sort of feels like a demand in a way of I feel very pressured. I feel like I can't think about the other things that I want to do. Then it gets a bit frustrating that I have other stuff that I need to do at the same time. The instant pressure is the instant pressure is just so overwhelming that I can't think of anything else to do. And then I go do the task, but I'm frustrated because I don't want to do the task and then the rest of the day is ruined. I'm not sure why. When I'm in a workplace, I don't really get demand avoidance because I think I know I'm there to do a job. I can accept 
that the manager's telling me to do certain tasks and I sort of understand that in a job setting that's sort of just the way it is but in everyday life with stuff like the dishwasher it really gets me for some reason because I'm thinking I am my own boss I can tell myself what to do and I know they're only simple reminders but for some reason it really gets to me so the third trait of autism is getting anxious in social situations and I think that this for me personally I don't think that it's just a trait of autism for me personally I know it is a trait of autism but I think I've had anxiety all my life separate to autism the sign of dyspraxia is also anxiety so it sort of makes sense maybe how maybe it's linked to autism but I'm not 100% 100% sure whether it stems from autism because my family is very introverted well apart from my mum she's very loud but me my dad and my brother are very introverted we aren't very loud we get anxious tendencies so it does run in the family with me but at the same time it's interesting how it is a trait of dyspraxia and autism maybe it does stem from that maybe it doesn't I'm not too sure but being anxious in social situations has definitely affected me for most of my life even now when things are getting a little bit better I've got a book I think I mentioned about how to feel confident in social situations and that's definitely helped with my anxiety going to therapy has definitely also helped with my anxiety but I think that I've always had it all my life and it's just been a part of me so the fourth trait of autism that i found and by the way i found most of these on like the nhs website and other sources is finding it hard to make friends and wanting to be alone now i thought this was just an introverted trait and a trait of me but it sort of makes sense i'm not sure why but i've always had the urge to want to be alone I find it very hard and draining being in social situations and making friends. I have the want to make friends, but once I'm in a friendship group, I find it hard to contact people. I get the imposter syndrome. Am I good enough? Do they want to be my friend? I get the anxiety of messaging back, thinking, will they like me? Will they not like me? And then it just ends up escalating where we grow apart and the cycle continues all over again. However, I don't mind being alone. I love being alone. I thrive off being alone. When I was younger, if my parents ever said, like I was 13, my parents ever said, oh, we're going out shopping. Do you want to come? I'd be like, no, please let me be alone. I want to be alone. I remember I would cook rice and chicken and white sauce i remember the rice was undercooked but i didn't care because i love the taste of undercooked rice a bit weird but anyway um so i'd rearrange the couches put duvets all over it and i'd put on shark boy and lava girl because i remember it was like the first time was getting netflix our first netflix subscription when i was 13 and i'd put on shark boy and lava girl when I was 13 and I'd be just loving it honestly it'd be like the best time ever I'd have like a massive portion 
I wasn't even hungry by lunchtime because I'd eaten so much and I was just having a feast. Yeah, I think I get enjoyment out of being alone because I have all my special interests and they're so different to everyone else in my friendship group. Like no one is obsessed with Disney like I am. So I can't really relate. I couldn't really relate to it in the same way. And just being alone and being excited by everything just brought me so much joy. I think that was the reason why, because I knew that if someone else was in the picture, I'd have to sort of dim down my excitement maybe because maybe I get embarrassed by it but I'm not too sure I've got a boyfriend now and he's he doesn't necessarily like Disney but he's all the way going to Disney World with me he'll just be joining in with my excitement although he's not maybe a massive fan he will watch Disney movies with me and he will like contribute to discussions and just excitement and he just loves it. He loves, I think he said he loves looking at me with my excitement than necessarily joining in, which I'm perfectly fine with. So the fifth trait is seeming blunt or rude and not having an interest in what others have to say. Even though you do and there is major intent positive intention in it so an example of when this happened to me was actually yesterday so I came downstairs and I noticed the washing was on the line and I was thinking I wanted to do my own washing because we have a big house and stuff gets lost sometimes like no one's fault but I just wanted to do my own washing so I asked my mum is my washing on the line and she turned around and she thought I was being rude and blunt. She thought I was having a go at her for some reason. She couldn't understand why. Turns out we cleared it up that I was just asking a question. Is it on the line? I'm not too sure. No worries if not. I would have preferred me to put it on the line. But if it is on the line, I don't really mind. And she was like, okay, okay. I accept that there was no intention to be rude, but it did sound a little bit rude with my boyfriend I really don't know whether I'm being rude or not with my boyfriend because he understands that I don't mean it so he lets it slide he doesn't call me out on anything major because he's got a gauge of when I am being rude when I'm not being rude but for some reason my mum still struggles a little bit and but I am trying to be more aware but, but I do find it very tricky there's been Fortunately, there's been very few situations that I've gone into, like in the workplace or something, where people think I am being rude and they call me out on it. But I make sure to clear it up quickly that I have autism and I apologise if I do come across as rude. And I am trying to be more self-aware and definitely call me out on it if you think I'm acting a certain way, because I can guarantee 99% of the time I am not. So that was the fifth trait, being rude and unintentionally being rude. And I can can imagine a lot of people with autism can resonate and relate to this. We have the resting face. I have that as well, where I look like I'm being absolutely miserable and not with it. And I get that when I'm zoning out a lot, when I'm in my own space, when I'm overwhelmed. I look like I'm having the worst time of my life but really I'm just in my own feels I'm just observing the situation and 
people don't understand it sometimes they think Athena's not having a great time let's try and cheer her up but that is the worst thing when you're zoning out someone's snapping you out of it because you get a bit disorientated and you don't know where you are and it makes you come across as even more grumpier even though you're not so number six is taking things literal so like sarcasm and jokes so the example that i've written down is someone saying break a leg and that'll be like before a performance or maybe yeah or maybe like a gymnastics or an event going on and for me personally when I was younger I would take that so literal so someone would come up to me and say break a leg Athena before my drum performance and I'd be thinking why do they want me to break a leg and my mum would say to me Athena it's just a saying people say break a leg because they want you to get into a cast like a drama cast like a cast when you break your leg and I think for me personally right now I don't really struggle with it that much because I've learned that it's just a part of the neurotypical life they have little sayings like that and I've taught myself what all the sayings are how to use them did I understand them at first no do I think they're a little bit silly sometimes they are I occasionally use them now so I'll say to someone break a leg like hold your horses that'd be another one like hold your horses because they want you to be stable (laughs) so yeah so there's little scenes like that where growing up I've learned to use them in the right context but when I was younger I honestly just got so confused and actually I think recently there was one where someone said oh you live right around the corner from us but really they were like a 20 minute drive away and I was thinking they don't live around the corner from us generally I think I'm okay with it but because I've learned it hasn't come natural like a neurotypical it's something which I've had to learn develop and just put into practice let me know if you're listening on social media send me a dm write in the comments of my latest post whether you struggle with this literal thinking or whether you've learned how to adjust and adapt to it I'm sure there's many people who are on both ends of the spectrum in a way of they've learned and they've also not too sure maybe they know a little bit maybe they struggle still not sure so moving on we're going to talk about the trait number seven which I which growing up I didn't realize was a form of autism so number seven is having the same routine every single day and getting very anxious when it changes now for me personally I don't really have a routine I'm not like a stereotypical textbook autism girl in the way I every single day I'd be exactly the same routine and if it changes I'm gonna have a complete meltdown that's not me it might be the same for other people it might be like that for other people but it's not like that for me growing up I had a basic routine sometimes it changed sometimes it didn't from day to day but in the morning if you told me that we were going to be doing like we were going to go to school after we were going to go to maybe the zoo 
then we were going to go home, or if you told me on Saturday we're going to Alton Towers, in my head I'd be like, we're going to Alton Towers, we're going to Alton Towers, we're going to Alton Towers. And if Saturday comes and my mum turns around and is like, oh my goodness, Athena, I've got to clean one of the house. It's because she does property. She has a property business. She's like, oh my goodness, Athena, we've got to clean one of the houses. I'm so sorry. We can't go to Alton Towers. That would cause a meltdown for me because I've been waiting for Alton Towers all day and I'd be so, so excited for it. But on the other hand, say for example, we had a tutoring class on Saturday, a maths tutoring class, which I would have hated. When Saturday comes, if my mum turned around and would be like, oh, I'm so sorry, Athena, we're not going to be able to go to your tutoring class because I booked you tickets to go Alton Towers. I would be so ecstatic because I'd be like, although it was put in a routine, something exciting would replace it. I think with me, it all depends on the importance of the task. If it's important to me, I have a meltdown if it gets changed. If it's not important to me, I don't really care. And that's why growing up, I thought I wasn't autistic because I didn't fit the stereotypical routine that autism presented. Don't get me wrong, there's still many elements of the routine I have to get put in place. For example, I have to brush my teeth at night, otherwise I can't sleep. I have to get to a place 10 minutes, half an hour beforehand, otherwise I'll freak out. So I have routines, they're just a lot more looser, they aren't rigid and strict. Now, like I said beforehand, autism is a spectrum. So it's not going to look like the same for every single person. For me, my routines are very loose and not rigid. For somebody else, they could be very strict. They could wake up one morning and have a routine that's filled to the brim, hour to hour, minute to minute. And if one thing's out of place, then everything just goes to ruins. But saying that also with me, when I went to London... If it's something really important, I will create a routine minute by minute, hour by hour. And if anything goes out of place, I will freak out. So if it's important to me, I'll create a really strict routine. If it's not important, I won't. It's really weird actually thinking about it. Not sure why I'm like that. But yeah, if you can relate to it, send me a message down below. And we're going to go on to trait eight. So the next trait which I've written down is not understanding social rules. For example, not talking over people, understanding that if someone accidentally talks over you, that doesn't mean that you should talk over them. And when I was younger, I didn't really understand that. There were sometimes rules where one rule for one person, one rule for another. There were exceptions. I didn't really understand the rule of exceptions and not. So I think I saw an Instagram post a couple of weeks ago and it talked about how as an autistic pe- as autistic people sometimes we don't understand the social rules growing up so from when you're really little to when you're older so when you're really little you are told that swearing is bad you shouldn't use vulgar words there's inappropriate language it's not that appropriate to say for say like a younger person 
But as you get older, the social rules and the social contacts change. So, for example, when you're eight, it's inappropriate to say a swear word. But maybe when you're 17, it is appropriate to say a swear word. I'm not sure. But as an autistic person, we miss the change, the social rule change of when it changes from being inappropriate to being appropriate and it's sort of a common sense rule no one really talks about it but it's for neurotypicals it's very common sense that oh now we're older we can swear I remember being about 16 and seeing everyone swearing and I'd be thinking when did everyone start swearing I thought that it was wrong to swear but now all of a sudden everyone's swearing when did the social context rule change and it sort of just happened as you got older. People naturally realised that as you got older, it was more appropriate. I wasn't sure when it was appropriate to swear, whether I should swear. And even in situations where I tried to experiment and I got it wrong and people would give me funny looks, that would be the absolute worst. And I've learned to tell people that if social situations change and there's anything that as anything that happens please we discuss it and let me know I know sometimes it's common sense but I've learned that it's okay to go and discuss things with my friends and family but it is a very tricky one I don't know whether anyone else can relate to this especially like I said at the beginning talking over people without realizing So the next thing that I'm going to be talking about, which is number nine out of 10, is not liking people to be too close to you and maybe physical touch. So for me, I love hugs. I've always loved hugs. But the thing is, I if I want to be on my own or I just want my own personal space, if someone tries to give me a hug or they touch my hair or maybe they just give me a little like a stroke to say you're okay, it feels very uncomfortable it feels like a breach of personal space and I'm not sure why but it should have been a massive telltale sign that it was a trait of autism growing up because I've always hated it I've always shouted at my parents well not shouted at my parents but I've always made it very clear to my parents that I absolutely hate being hugged sometimes when I'm upset or I'm in a meltdown I don't let people come in near me I let my own personal space so so that should have been a very alarming telltale sign that I was autistic and I did need help and I should have been diagnosed but it wasn't for some reason everyone just thought maybe I was sensitive or I was just being a drama queen or I was just being OTT then until later on that everything just came into place and it was like oh my goodness I do have autism but when I was younger I think that should have definitely been a telltale sign I know a lot of other people struggle with personal touch and hugging and elements like that I know What a lot of people do is they like to give the fist bump or a high five instead of personal touch because it still feels like you're being intimate in a way that you're interacting with your friend, your family, but you don't necessarily have to breach your own personal space if you don't want to. 
And number 10, the last trait. Now, for me, this wasn't as obvious as the other traits, but it still was out there as a trait that maybe should have been picked up. It was noticing small details like patterns, smells, or sounds that other people may not understand or hear. I remember growing up, I was always very observant. So when I was talking to someone, I would always sort of half daydream, look around the room, and I'd notice patterns in certain objects or whether someone's got a hair bow in their hair or whether someone is wearing a piece of clothing that reminds me of something else or whether there's a bird in the sky. I don't know, I I always notice the small details in things and I remember my parents being really shocked all the time and they were thinking, how do we miss certain elements, like for example on the TV, birds, certain smells which they would just dismiss because they're so wrapped up in trying to think about their day and what's going on but I've always had like the skill of noticing smaller details and that definitely should have been telltale sign although a lot unfortunately a lot of my autistic traits were put down to dyspraxia because I was diagnosed with dyspraxia at the age of seven A lot of autism and dyspraxia traits overlap, so I always assume, for example, being clumsy was just autism when it's actually both. Low concentration is actually more autism than dyspraxia and maybe not giving eye contact. I honestly thought that was dyspraxia when really it's autism, it's not dyspraxia. So a lot of traits which should have been standout for autism were just brushed underneath a carpet as being told it was just dyspraxia. And for me, when I was younger and all my family, it made sense. It made sense to just categorise it as dyspraxia because why wouldn't it be anything else? I got diagnosed with dyspraxia at age seven. So why would I need another diagnosis or anything else? I think that was the thought process when I was younger, which I suppose, looking back, maybe it shouldn't have been. Maybe I should have investigated a little bit further into looking at autism. But we didn't know at the time. So we can't look back and think, why didn't we do this when at the time we just didn't think? We just didn't think about it, which is okay, I guess. But some of the traits were very standout-ish. So I think this is going to be the end of the episode. I really hope you enjoyed it and learned something new about autism. Maybe you already knew these traits. Maybe you didn't. It was really interesting for me looking at the traits online and realizing, oh my goodness, I didn't realize that was autism. I also didn't realize that was autism. The many traits that were displayed when I was younger that I thought were dyspraxia but were actually autistic. It was very, very interesting and I actually found it quite educational looking through the NHS website and thinking if I had only known when I was younger, maybe I could have gotten more support. But anyway, I really hope you enjoyed this video and I am going to be creating a part two because there there was actually 20 traits of autism 
which were missed in childhood, which is absolutely crazy. So there will be a part two coming up. I don't know whether it's going to be next week or another week. I have got a part two planned. So I'll see you then. Bye. Also, I forgot to mention, I'd love it if you could subscribe to this podcast, download as many episodes as you like. It really helps with my growth and development and understanding what sort of things people like. So yeah, I'll see you next week. Bye.